amigos. Have you ever worked hard on a project and then realized that you accidentally deleted a big portion of your project and that you had already saved it and it was too late to go back and so you had to redo it? That is exactly what happened to me. So that is why this episode is a little late. My apologies, but I'm so glad you're here for another episode of the Global Storytime Podcast where every two weeks I bring you a story from a different country or a different culture from around the world in hopes of getting to know it better. I'm so glad you came to join me on another trip around the world. This time, we're going to Peru. And I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you so much for being here, for tuning in, for choosing this podcast and choosing this episode. I appreciate you so much, and I hope that you've been enjoying this podcast so far. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. I'm your host and storyteller, Diane Strand. So a little announcement for the top of the show. This is going to be the last episode where both the story and the information are combined into one episode. Moving forward, I am going to release two episodes every two weeks. One episode will be the story. And then the other episode will be all of the additional information, like the context that I give to the stories explaining some things that we might encounter, and then all of the historical and kind of anthropological information that I give about the country at the end of the episode. So I'm doing this because these two things, both the story and all of this information, are so near and dear to me and so important and things that I really want to share. But I do understand that people who are here for the story might not be as into all the information or it might be a little advanced, and then people who are here for the information maybe aren't as interested into the story. I don't know. So instead of making you skip around through the stuff that you might not be as interested in, I'm just going to separate it out for you and then you can choose to listen to both if you want, which I strongly encourage, or you can pick one or the other. Okay, that being said, this week I'm bringing you a story from Peru. It takes place long, long ago, before electricity, before lights or heaters or ovens, when you needed fire to light your home, to keep you warm, and to cook your food. This story is about the discovery of fire and the trials that our hero, Chonke, goes through to find it. So the few things that I want to mention at the top of the show to get us prepared and ready to listen to the story. The first thing is the city of Chan Chan. So like I said, this story takes place long ago. And in the story, it's going to say it takes place before the city of Chan Chan existed. And what is the city of Chan Chan? Well, it was the biggest city in South America before the Incan Empire took over and conquered everyone in the region. It was built by the Chimu people, and it was known for being full of riches like gold and silver. Its name is literally translated into Sun Sun, so you can guess what they were into. And speaking of the sun, this story also takes place before the pyramids of the sun and the moon and the hidden temples existed. And so what the story is referring to by talking about these pyramids of the sun and the moon and the hidden temples is Machu Picchu. You've probably heard of Machu Picchu before, and if you haven't, it is so cool. 
I've never been, but I've seen pictures and I am dying to go check it out. There's still a lot of mystery and unanswered questions surrounding Machu Picchu, but here's what we know. It is believed that it was a palace for the Incan emperor Pachacuti and was built in the 1400s. Now, of course, a palace is not just for the emperor, but all the other noble people that surround the emperor. And of course, lots and lots of servants to keep the place running. So Machu Picchu was really like a small city. It was built in the Andes Mountains, and inside of Machu Picchu, we find temples and art and celebration of the sun and the moon. On part of our hero Chonke's journey to find fire, he comes across a volcano. And I just wanted to mention that Peru has over 20 volcanoes. That's so many. I thought there was a lot where I am in the Pacific Northwest, but we only have nine. Some of them have erupted in the last hundred years, but none of them have been that significant of an eruption. Okay, the very last thing that I'll mention is the condor. So a condor is going to come along and help our hero out. And so I wanted to look up a little more about this bird. By the way, a condor is a bird. They are the largest flying land bird in the Western Hemisphere. The Andean condor, which is the one that lives in the Andes Mountains in Peru, has a wingspan of around 10 feet. That incredible wingspan allows them to glide along wind currents with ease. They only have to flap their wings to get high enough, and then they're off. One condor was recorded soaring for 106 miles for over five hours in a single flight. Wowza, that's so impressive. They can also live for up to 50 years or more in the wild, and the oldest one in captivity lived to be 100 years old. I really wasn't expecting them to be that interesting. Okay, that's it. Without further ado, I am pleased to bring you the story, Chonke and the Secret of Fire. Chonke and the Secret of Fire Many, many years ago, before the building of the great city of Chanchan, or the hidden mountain temples, before the grand pyramids to the sun and the moon, there lived a man called Chonke. Early one morning, Chonke left his stone village in search of a new place to fish. He followed the sound of a waterfall hidden in the mists until he came to a silver pond nestled in dark, slippery boulders. The instant Chonke cast his net into the icy waters, he felt the heavy tug of a large, struggling creature. Chonke strained with all his might and pulled his net to the surface. There, to his astonishment, was an enormous fish of many brilliant colors. The strangeness and beauty of the creature caught Chonke by surprise. This thing is far too beautiful to be killed and eaten, Chonke said aloud. Even though I'm hungry, I will let this fish go. And Chonke opened the net so the fish could escape. Then the fish rose from the water and sat on a square rock and spoke to Chonke. I am Tambo, a spirit of Father Earth. Because you have shown the kindness of your soul, I will give you one favor. Tell me, what would you like? Hmm, well, I see nothing for myself, replied Chonke. 
when he had found his voice. But my people suffer from the cold and are afraid of the blackness of the night. You need the gift of fire, said Tombo, to warm your stone houses, to cook your food, and to light your way when the sun sleeps beyond the sea. How do we find this fire? asked Chonke. Tombo said, It is a secret to be learned and a secret to be earned. Are you ready for such a task? I am, said Chonke. What must I do? There will be a great storm tomorrow, Tombo replied. You must climb to the highest peak and hold a basket full of stones above your head. Then he slipped from the rock and vanished beneath the waters. The next day, Chonke labored to the top of the highest peak, carrying the heavy basket. Angry clouds gathered as thunder rumbled and echoed through the valleys. Finally, Chonke stood, struggling to lift his burden against the cutting winds and freezing rains. I have come from Tombo, he cried. Please give me the secret of fire. Just as he said these words, a great flash of lightning broke from the clouds and ripped apart the basket in Chonke's hands. Wearily, he made his way down the mountain, battered and disappointed. The next day, Chonke went to the silver pool. You have tricked me, Tombo, he cried to the water. I could not capture the lightning. Tombo lifted his head from the pool. I already know you are kind, he said, but that will not be enough for the task that you have before you. Now you have also proved that you are strong. Very well, said Chonke. What must I do next? Put your face to the south wind, Tombo said, and walk for four days. There you will find fire at your feet. And once again, Tombo vanished in the rings of silver ripples. So, Chonke filled a sack with sweet potatoes to eat, wrapped a blanket of llama wool around his shoulders, and set off into the south wind. The first day, Chonke crossed a valley of stinging spiders, but he wrapped his feet and legs in grass to avoid being bitten. The next day, Chonke found himself in a rocky field of snakes, but he was able to fend them off with his walking stick. The third day, Chonke climbed through a mountain pass filled with crouching pumas. He swung his axe around his head and made it safely to the next valley. At night, he huddled in a dark cave. On the fourth day, Chonke came upon a smoldering crater in the ground. In the center of the crater, molten red rocks bubbled and hissed. At the edges, clouds of yellow steam drifted up from the earth. Chonke picked up warm rocks at the edge of the crater, but soon they cooled in his hands. He leaned toward the fiery rocks at the center, but the fierce heat drove him back. Tombo has sent me on another fool's errand, he told himself as he turned to retrace his dangerous journey home. When he reached his own village, he found a condor sitting on his window seal. Tombo has sent me to lend you my wings, the condor said. You have proved yourself brave, as well as strong, and also kind. You are ready to take the secret of fire from the kingdom of the sun and the moon. Is this another trick? demanded Chonke. Oh no, replied the condor. My wings will carry you to where the sun and the moon dwell above the sky. 
the moon has a golden mirror in which she admires herself. You must steal the mirror and bring it back to Tombo. What if I am caught by the sun? Chonke asked. Then you will be turned into a shower of sparks and cast forever into the night. Each of the stars is a soul who has tried to steal the secret of fire. Chonke took the condor's wings and flew higher and higher beyond the clouds, above the sky, to a bright golden temple where the sun and the moon lived. In the great hall, he hid behind a pillar and saw the moon admiring her reflection in a shiny disk. He knew he must think of a clever plan if he would succeed where so many had failed before him. Chonke knew that once a month the moon did not appear in the sky, and he reasoned on cloudy days the sun must also sleep. So he waited patiently for many days and nights until, at last, the sun and the moon were both asleep. Then he seized the golden mirror and flew to earth as swiftly as a falling stone. Chonke flew straight to the silver pool and called for Tombo. How do I use the moon's mirror? he cried. Tombo rose to the surface. When the sun wakes, he will be very angry, and he will seek you out with one of his powerful rays, said Tombo. You just catch his rays in the mirror and direct them into a bundle of twigs and grass. And so Chonke did just as Tombo had told him, and the bundle of twigs and grass burst into flame. Now the people were able to keep warm and light their way in the dark. And ever since, the sun continues to shine his searching rays on every corner of the land. And the moon must be content admiring her reflection in the lakes, rivers, and the sea. The End Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed Chonke and the Secret of Fire. I honestly still need the Secret of Fire because when I go camping sometimes, it is a struggle to get a good fire going. I liked that this story had a similar beginning to the magic gem, which is the Korean folktale featured in episode 3. In both stories, the fisherman takes pity on a poor fish and lets it go. But these are clearly very different tales. It's fun to think that people in totally different parts of the world wrote stories that start with shared experiences or situations, like fishing, and that they imagine fantastical personalities of the fish they are hoping to catch. All right, diving into Peru, what do you know about it? One thing that I can tell you is that I've always wanted to travel through South America, and now after learning more about Peru, it is super high on the list of places that I cannot wait to visit. It has it all. Mountains, desert, rainforests, beaches, an international city with award-winning food, and phenomenal ancient ruins. If you've been there, I'd love to hear about your trip. You can shoot me an email or write about it in the reviews. First and foremost, Where is it located? Peru is a coastal country located on the western side of South America. To the north is Ecuador and Colombia. To the east is Brazil. To the southeast is Bolivia. And then to the south is Chile. And of course, to the west is the Pacific Ocean. 
Peru is also located at the edge of the South American tectonic plate, which is sliding over the neighboring tectonic plate, creating a subduction zone and the multitude of volcanoes in the country. I used to teach about volcanoes when I worked at a science museum, so I just had to throw that in. And the capital of Peru is Lima. The population of Peru is 33 million people, so a little less than the population of California. Its size is just under 500,000 square miles. So if you look at a map of the United States, it's about the size of California, Nevada, Utah, and Arizona all together. And now let's get into the history of the country. The earliest evidence of humans in what is now known as Peru has been dated to approximately 12,500 BC. Archaeologists found stone tools, woven textiles, and cave drawings of condors, crabs, and snakes, and what is believed to be the oldest avocado pit in the world. Over the next few thousand years, many cultures and empires rose and fell, like the Kupasnik, the Moche, and the Chimu, which I mentioned at the top of the show. Each of these groups is known for very specific types of pottery and textiles that were uniquely theirs, which I think is pretty cool. And then, as mentioned earlier, the Incan Empire took hold and dominated the region in the 1400s. I always think of the Incan Empire as being thousands of years old, so I was surprised to learn that it really isn't that ancient. A quick side note about the Incas. They eventually controlled almost the entire west coast of South America, and their capital was Cusco which is still a city that exists in the Peruvian Andes. And of course, that Andes are the largest mountain range in South America. Okay, getting back. In 1532, a group of Spanish conquistadors led by Francisco Pizarro and was supported by smaller native tribes that were probably just itching at the chance to topple down the powerful Inca Empire, marched in and started taking over. It's the same story that we hear in episode 5 when I talked about the European conquest of North America, or in episode 6 when I talked about the British colonies in Australia. The Spaniards brought diseases like smallpox that wiped out large numbers of native people and forcibly moved populations to new areas. The Spanish built the city of Lima on the coast to be the capital of their vast new colony, and they called it La Ciudad de Reyes or the City of Kings, if your Spanish is a little rusty. This colony and all of the Spanish colonies around the world were funded by the gold and silver mines that they set up in Peru. And of course, they forced the native and African slaves to mine these mines. Over the next couple hundred years, there were groups that tried to revolt and fight off the Spanish, but none of them were successful. The most notable rebel, however, was Tupac Amaru, a descendant of Incan royalty who organized and led what is appropriately called the Tupac Amaru Rebellion in 1780. Like I said, it was not successful in overthrowing the Spanish, but it was successful in re-energizing the native populations and brought on a wave of Inca pride, so much so that the Spanish government soon made it illegal to wear any traditional clothing or speak native languages, which is another classic move from the colonizer playbook. A quick side note, have you heard of Tupac Shakur or Tupac Amaru Shakur? If you haven't, he's considered one of the greatest rappers of all time, and his mother named him after the rebel Tupac Amaru, the famed Incan freedom fighter. So again, kind of the same story plays out. 
There were a series of more rebellions from indigenous populations, and by the early 1800s, the descendants of the Spanish conquistadors were ready to cut ties with Spain and start their own country. The war for independence lasted 15 years, and then it took another 50 years of smaller wars with neighboring emerging countries like Argentina and Bolivia for Peru to be officially formed and internationally recognized as a country in 1879. And we'll leave it at that. If you want to know anything about post-independence Peru, the internet is your dearest friend, who sometimes fibs. So check your sources. Moving on to languages spoke in Peru. The official language is Spanish, as you probably guessed, but not everyone speaks it. About 82% of the population speaks Spanish, And there are over 50 native languages spoken by indigenous people. So those 18% that don't speak Spanish might speak Quechua, which was the language of the Incas, or Amara, which is another commonly spoken indigenous language. Something kind of crazy that I found was that in Lima, the capital, The Spanish that they speak is the version of Spanish that they speak in Spain, while the rest of the country uses the Spanish that is used in Latin America. If you've studied Spanish before, you know that those two different types of Spanish use some different grammar and might have different pronunciation of things. So this use of the Spain version of Spanish in Lima is left over from all of those nobles and wealthy Spaniards who lived there long, long ago when it was capital of the Spanish Empire in South America. Foreign languages that were brought over by immigrants that are spoken in Peru are Japanese, Chinese, Italian, German, Arabic, Urdu, and, of course, English. Now a quick overview of the religion's practice in Peru. Roman Catholicism, which was brought over by the Spanish, still remains very, very popular with 76% of the population following it. I want to note that even though there is, by law, the freedom of religion in the country, it is mandated that religious guidance be a part of the curriculum in schools. And so Catholicism, no surprise, is that religious guidance that is taught. Roughly 18% of the population practices some other form of Christianity while 5% are irreligious, a word that I just learned, which includes people who are agnostic or atheist. Irreligion, if I can use that word that way, is on the rise in urban areas and in younger populations. Other religions that are practiced by immigrant populations include Mormonism, the Baha'i Faith, Islam, Buddhism, and surprisingly, Wicca which is like a new agey version of old European pagan religions, which became popular in the 1950s and remains popular among college students. All right, and lastly, our fun fact of the episode. The fun fact for this episode has to do with one of the tastiest and most versatile foods in the world, the potato. The humble potato originated in Peru and then took the world by storm with hash browns and french fries and tater tots and mashed potatoes and potato soup. Picture the potato section of your grocery store. You might see some brown ones or some tiny red ones, oval-shaped yellow ones, and maybe even a couple blue ones if your grocery store is fancy. Now try to imagine the 4,000 varieties of potatoes that are grown in Peru. They're big and fat, long and skinny, tiny and round, and come in a rainbow of colors, including pink and purple. And that's it! 
thank you again for joining me on this trip to Peru. I hope you have enjoyed the ride. You can tell me what you think by leaving a review in an Apple podcast, or you can email the show at globalstorytimepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I'm always adding more content that relates to the country or a group of people that we have recently discussed on this show. Once again, I've been your host and storyteller, Diane Strand. Until next time, bye!